years ahead of the dominant media. FirstAmendmentRadio.com and FirstAmendmentRadio.net. Around the world and on satellite. about the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about heaven and prayer and these subjects that are seemingly beyond our reach of understanding and comprehension. I'm going to refer to some degree to the chapter Heaven versus Heaven in the book The Covenants of the Gods. Uh, Every single chapter in that book is always uh, employee versus enslaved, law versus legal. It, it deals a lot with the meaning of words. Words are babble. Every word has multiple definitions. Everybody who uses a word will think something slightly different than almost everybody else because words are not finite. Uh, or infinite, uh, they are finite. Uh, they are, they vary, they change. They, uh, they're not uh, always the same because they are dependent upon what we're thinking, and we don't know what each other are thinking. And so, this idea of communicating with words has always been a problem. The misunderstanding, the confusion that is created by trying to communicate and understanding one another. Uh, they can be very useful in trying to come to an understanding, but I went to the seminary for years, and it was quite a shock to me when I finally discovered that my professors didn't see the Bible in the same way that I saw it, didn't see the Word of God exactly as I saw it. Uh, They were caught up in philosophies of men and religions of men, created by men, in the thinking of men. We see that every day with all the different religious sects out there and groups. Uh, I was talking with a pastor the other day, and I pointed out that a particular word in the Bible doesn't mean what he thinks it means. Now, he thinks it means what he thinks it means because of his seminary training, because of his, you know, reading books about the Bible, reading theirs. That's what he finally said was that we have to decide on what is the meaning of these words. And I says, well, how do we do that? And he says, well, where's the source? And I says, well, which source do you want to use? He wants to use theirs. Okay, fine, great. Uh, We'll use theirs, but let's use it in the context of the time and, and the language of the time. And the fact is, is I just happened to look up today the particular word in theirs. And theirs agrees with me, but it does not agree with his religious conclusion as to what these words mean in the Bible. If you actually read theirs, it's very specific of that particular word, and we might get to it. It's way at the end of my notes, uh, but we'll look at some of the the words that uh, confuse people uh, today, and the one in particular is the word heaven. What is heaven? If I say heaven, you think what? clouds, men with harps, being with God, everlasting glory, um, all these sorts of... The reality is is the word that we see for heaven in both Old and New Testament almost always made reference to the fact that they were talking about the sky up above us, Uh, the heavens in which the birds fly, the heaven in which God comes down to us from. It's the sky. That's what it kind of means, except for... In the New Testament, uh, there's a particular word, Orionos. And uh, there's several words that we see translated into heaven in, uh, in the Old Testament. I won't get into all those different Hebrew words. There were some that are fairly consistent. 
But again, the definition, if you go to Theros, the first thing you see is the sky, and the clouds, the, the firmament, the what's up above us. And uh, somehow or other, now when you say heaven to anybody, they think immediately, uh, they're thinking, you know, where I go when I die. Uh, that's heaven. Uh, and then I'll be with Jesus. And that's heaven. And that may not be incorrect, but that isn't necessarily what the word meant when you see it in the context. And so you have to, you have to read the Bible as if you were standing there in front of those people speaking Greek and Aramaic. And you knew the language of the time. Otherwise, you can start bringing in all kinds of ideas and draw all kinds of pictures and conclusions that simply are concocted by scholars and monks and priests and reverends way too much time on their hands. We want to know what they were actually saying at the time they said it, at the time they wrote it, the context in which they were speaking it. And over and over again, we show you how... That because we don't do that, we create all kinds of confusion. And people don't really believe in Christ. They believe in, uh, in philosophers and uh, theologians. And uh, they create uh, philosophies like Calvinism. You know, what is Calvinism? You, there's about five or six different brands of Calvinism. Catholicism, uh, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists, thousands upon thousands of sects. And... and even amongst them, I, I, I knew Lutherans, oh, this Lutheran can't go to communion at our church because it's a different synod. It's nothing but division, division, division. There should be unity, unity, unity if we are all believing in Christ. Christ is one individual. Why aren't we all together in our belief of Christ? And because we're not all together, our prayers are not all together. And so we're going to talk a little bit about heaven. Just don't get carried away. I'm not trying to create a new philosophy. I'm just trying to open up your view of what this word means in the context in which it's often used. And it's used in many different contexts. Same word can be used in many different contexts. But take the instance that also we got the world, the word world that we see. There's five, six different words in the Greek that are all translated into the single English word world. And they all mean something different. Well, you're going to be confused if they're translating Greek words into the same. Then that English word has five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve different definitions. Are we talking Disney World, Wayne's World, the world in which you live, the age in which you live, a place, a planet? If I say Earth, you think of this ball of blue floating in space. You think, but that isn't necessarily what the authors were talking about. And so we want to know what they were talking about and not what some philosopher or reverend or minister is talking about. And so I'm not going to tell you what each one different verse is going to say, but I want to try to broaden your view of what heaven is. One quote says that heaven in religion is a place where God or gods or other spiritual beings dwell and the place of or condition of perfect supernatural happiness for the redeemed in the afterlife. In simple societies, the concept of life after death was substantially that the shadowy continuance of life on earth. Even in that concept, however, the principle of the necessity for vindication of divine justice was manifested. The general belief of Christians is that their bliss is eternal. If you go to other societies, heaven in the Greeks was uh, Elysium, and the Romans it was the Isle of the Blessed, uh, Vahalia and the Germans, Nirvana amongst the Buddhists, uh, all which had to be attained for eternal bliss. Uh, is heaven simply a blissful retirement community where we spend eternity for happiness? The Bible supports that concept. Very Bible. Jesus talks almost nothing about it. He does make reference to it, but we draw in all the uh, other pictures around it. And then, of course, there's always people who have died, and they've gone to heaven, and they come back and tell us what it looks like. And then there are people who die, and they ended up in hell, and they come back and tell us what it looks like. And maybe they're correct, but Christ didn't spend much time on the subject. 
He was talking about the kingdom of heaven at hand. He was talking about the now. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the present tense, he's talking about it. And the word kingdom means the dominion of heaven. And, of course, we see kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven both in the Bible. But you only see kingdom of heaven mentioned in Matthew. You do not see it mentioned in any other gospel or any other epistle. And that's because Matthew was probably written in Aramaic. And I say probably because there is some controversy. To me, there really isn't any doubt. Uh, if you look at the text, that it, it, it's uh, in the way in which it's uh, written, it, it almost had to have been translated from the Aramaic into the Greek. Uh, but again, because people want to debate, I won't say that it's absolutely the case. But it explains a great deal of the... Uh, they're not really inconsistencies, but the difference, the uniqueness of Matthew over the other uh, biblical uh, accounts. But if it was written in Aramaic, then we have an Aramaic word that would be translated possibly into Aranus. It's always difficult when you go from one language to the other because those words are not, it's not like math. You know, two in, in Latin and two in English and two in French always represents two. Uh, whether you say duos or uh, duo or whatever it is, it's two. And it's a fairly easy concept. Uh, but if you're going with ideas such as heaven, it may mean something quite a bit different. But they picked uh, the word Aranus when they translated uh, the uh, Aramaic into, uh, which is a Melkutschek, uh, you could pronounce that a couple of different ways, but it basically has to do with a realm uh, under which you may have or over which you may have dominion. And if you translate that into Oranus, then it can become heaven when you translate Oranus into English. Now, should Oranus be translated into heaven, into, into the English? Well, it is, and so that's what we have to live with. But if you were just a Greek scholar with no religious uh, agenda, and you were going back to the Greek language, and you were looking at how the word Aranus was constantly used in law, constantly used in everyday conversations, constantly used by the philosophers, there really isn't any English word that you could translate into um, Aranus into. So you would have to pick something, uh, and that's what they did, was they picked heaven, in the heaven. But if you go to Greek scholars who were writing... Uh, about like Plato's dialogue, they say, uh, you know, and other early philosophers, they say, indeed, we have no suitable word to express what the Greeks at first called an oranos. It will be convenient to use the term world for it. So here we have the word oranos, the Greek scholars saying should be best translated into the word world, and the and five or six other Greek words that are translated into world, into the single English word world, they never use the word Oranus into world. And the reason why is, it, it, you'll have to just figure that out, but basically Oranus means the vaulted ceiling. Now that's what Thayer says, you know, the heaven. And everything within it. Now when they say vaulted heavens, they mean the sky above all the way around the planet you know, many people back then in those days knew the planet was round they didn't think the planet was flat uh, most of the romans knew that uh they were seafarers they knew they could see the curvature of the earth when they go out and they knew all about that they were navigating uh there's evidence they navigated clean to america um so they knew the world was round and they just they have these myths that they write up for great storytelling about there being on the back of a turtle. They didn't really think that. I mean, they aren't, these aren't stupid guys. They are making roads that still are in existence today, aqueducts that are still in existence today. They were, they were bright. They were intelligent. They were clever. They, they knew the world was around. And the vaulted ceiling was the sky, this Oranos. But it also included everything that was within the Oranos, the atmosphere of the earth, the firmament of the earth all the way down to the center of the earth, and even had laws that made reference to the fact that you owned the property from the vaulted ceiling 
the Oranos all the way down to the center of the earth. And we even find the same kinds of quotes in modern uh, American Jewish prudence uh, as to what that really means. And that's what Oranos really means. Is not just the land on which we walk, but the heavens above all the way to the center of the earth. The Garden of Paradise. God was down here walking with... Uh, uh, this was literally heaven on earth. If God is there, is that not what heaven is all about? But we hid from God. Now, is God still walking around on the earth? Christ was. Is God's spirit here? Is it everywhere? Yes, of course. But we have hid from it. We don't want to see God. Because to see God, we would see our own nakedness, our own shame, both physically and literally. So we hid from God. And personally, I believe that the angel in the garden is there as a beacon to bring us back. But we keep hiding from the light. Uh, we don't want to see God, because in order to see God, we must see ourselves, which is an important concept when we get to prayer. So, where are we at with this? Uh, if Oranos, heaven, has to do with not only the surface of the earth, but the heavens, or not only the heavens, but the surface of the earth, it makes more sense when we read that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is walking with you. On earth, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he's talking about. We're back in paradise. But what happens? People, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to see it. Now, people say, oh, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. Well, thousands of them did, and thousands of them didn't. Thousands of them walked with Christ. Even after he left, they still walked with the Spirit of Christ that they were baptized with that was in them and outside of them, immersed in that spirit. And they were no longer afraid. They weren't even afraid of death. And that's what he says. Don't be afraid of them that can kill the body. Be afraid of them that can kill the soul. We have the mingling of two realms. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we were on the earth and God walked with us, so we were in heaven. You see the, the, the joining of the realms. But when we hid from the heavenly realm, hid from the presence of God, turned our back on God, we fell into only this earthly realm. Everything in the universe is spiritual first. And then came the physical reality following that spiritual reality important concept when we get to prayer because if your prayers are simply here on earth you're not in the creative influence of God and you, you deny the power of God in the present and so from that point on your prayers are only on the earth they're only verbiage being echoed into the planet and God will not hear you that's what he says over and over again in the Bible. He says, go and choose the gods which you have chosen for yourself, the ways in which you have chosen for yourself, the, the virtue in which you have chosen for yourself, which is not really virtue, but absence of advice. And I will not hear you. Go cry out. I will not hear you. Over and over again, he warns us of that. So we see that uh, God put us here on earth and said to have dominion. He breathed his spirit into us and gave us life. But when we deny him, we are cut off that life and from that tree of life, and now we are subject to death. Because we have killed our own soul by cutting ourselves off from the source of life. But originally, we were told to dress it and keep it, to have dominion. God said, let us make man in our image. That's mean very much like God in basic structures. We're not really God. But yet Jesus said, ye also are, is it not written that ye also are God? We're not the God, but we're made in his image. So in a sense, we are made like God, but we are not God. And when we think we are God, we cut ourselves off because we usurp God. Every time you're angry, you're usurping God. Every time you're judgmental, you're usurping God. When God shows you and you become discerning and use his judgment to observe, 
and become a conduit for him, that's another thing. Then you have the judgment of God through you. But when it's you deciding this is the way it should be, this is the philosophy we should have, this is the religion that we should have, this is the religion, everything, my philosophy, my idea, then they are not saved like I am saved. You are playing God. And that's why you've got thousands of religious sects out there. That's why you got guys arguing till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning about religious things and forgetting the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faith and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we were to have dominion out of the air, over the uh, cattle, on the ground, the whole thing. We're to have dominion. What we were not to have is dominion of man over man. In Paradise Lost, we see exorable, accursed son uh, so to aspire above his brethren to himself, assuming authority, assert from God, not given he gave us only over beasts and fish and fowl dominion absolute. That right we hold by his donation, but man over man he made not Lord. Such title to himself reserving human left from human free. But humans aren't free. In democracy and governments every day, men are not free. Because we are not really moving according to the Spirit according to the way, according to the virtue of Christ. We are exercising in the Ten Commandments, which is what is good. We are giving power to men over men so that they become possession. And that we do not hold dominion of ourselves, of the land upon which we live, from the sky above to the center of the earth, we give that dominion to others to rule over us. We do not elect representatives but we erect lawmakers today in America. And we have done this because we have contracted, made covenants with men, and they have now become our gods, usurping gods, and making and judging over us. They are the gods many that we were warned about. And we have given them power. God did not give them power. We gave them power by applying to them for benefits. What kind of benefits? Well, there are benefactors who exercise authority, so then they give it to us. That is pervasive in every society throughout the world today. Now, there are certain poor sections in almost every country that don't have access to those benefits. But generally speaking, Christians today have all gone back into the bondage of Egypt. They all have given dominion over themselves, over their land, to their neighbors or to their government or to the state or to whatever you want to call it walking with Christ. If they were walking, they would have never done this. They are in their heads religion. And they have to let all that go and repent and seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And the Lord God took man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Later on, uh, we see in other uh, places it says he he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Satan is the adversary of God. He is the one who is cast out of the dominion of the heaven above and has been looking for dominion ever since. First on FirstAmendmentRadio.com and FirstAmendmentRadio.net, around the world and on satellite. Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demand vastly exceeds mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts, and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. 
We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, platinum, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or... War of Federal Aggression. John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free, or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. Get this DVD presentation for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Call... 559-781-3773. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. You are listening to the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network. We do not have freedom of speech because the Constitution gives it. The amendment was written to keep the government from taking our freedom away. The Creator gave us our rights, but He also gives us the capacity to do evil or usurp the rights of others. Our individual rights end where the rights of another begin. No one has the right to do evil because evil can never be right. Those who would seek to limit your right to speak or hear the truth are the same who seek to subjugate, control, and enslave you. Freedom is not free. Support the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network by going to firstamendmentradio.com on the Internet and following the instructions there to support us. Thank you for listening. So the adversary of God is also the adversary of man returning to God. He tempted us so that we would err and then hide from the truth of that error, which is what he has always done. And that brings us down to the nature of the adversary ourselves, when we hide from the truth. And where do we hide? Well, we hide behind our religious philosophies more than probably anything else, but then our own personal self-righteousness and political uh, aspirations. Uh, when I say political aspirations, I include anyone who wishes to exercise authority over his neighbor. Uh, and, of course, everybody does that to some degree. And to that degree, we are allies to the adversary of God. Becoming the dominion of man over man. Some people, or recently I was looking at someone's particular philosophy or, or uh, approach or thinking, and I found it very much in accordance with mine, although the one phrase that kept popping out that I, I disagreed with uh, where he was talking about uh, getting to the point where they do away with the existing government. Now, he was doing it all with peace. He's not uh, considering any kind of violent overthrow. Well, I don't even want to overthrow in nonviolence the governments of the world. I want them to exist because they are there to serve a very important purpose, to punish the wicked. And who are the wicked? It's all the people who pray to those governments. Those are the wicked. And they need to be bound up in those systems so that they will be suffering accordingly so that they will wake up in that suffering and repent and return to God. Because I won't wreak suffering on them. Uh, They must be allowed to create those governments that will make them suffer for their sin of rejecting God and turning to him. Remember, when Saul was elected, that was a rejection of God by the voice of the people. Every election you see where they elect a new president in the United States or prime minister in some other country is just consummating that rejection of God and attempting to pick, no matter how benevolent he is, you're trying to pick somebody who can exercise authority and rule over the people. Now, I will agree that some people are trying to elect the least uh, invasive leader. 
uh, choice between the devil and the deep blue sea. You're still back there. You're saying, well, I want to elect a David rather than a Saul. Well, even David sinned and, and created a draft and numbered the people to exercise authority and force them. Um, the only election that makes any sense to me is to elect Christ as your king. If you can do that, then I'm impressed. And that's basically what the church is constantly trying to do is bring people back to Christ so they look to Christ for their salvation in this world and the next, for their benefits in this world and the next. And the adversary is constantly trying to get you to assert God and reject God and turn your back on God and go the other way. So it's all about direction, which way you want to go. And direction is a direction of the Spirit, deep down in your own heart. It's not just physically changing, you know, not signing papers and doing this, that, and the other thing. It's actually changing the Spirit that is in you. And, of course, you can't do that. You can't conjure up the Holy Spirit and bring Him into you. But in realizing the fact that you are subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and humbly admitting that, and letting go of all the things that you're using to try to overcome your fallen state and accepting that fallen state and repenting there is a certain amount of sorrow and repentance but sorrow to god not sorrow for condition and returning to that god and his way The adversary has been spending thousands of years to continue to seduce you and continue to delude you into thinking that you can do something about your present state out of your own will. And mostly it's setting your own will aside that is the answer. But chiefly then that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, it says. Except for the problem is the word there, kyriotis, is not translated government anywhere else in the Bible. It is normally translated dominion. Despise dominion because we were given dominion over the fish, over the land, over the animals, over everything, but not of man over man. So therefore, in that state, we would have dominion over ourselves and the right to choose. And so anything you do that decreases your right to choose is despising dominion. And by creating greater and greater and stronger and stronger governments, you are actually doing what this says, despising dominion and giving dominion to other minions over you. You're giving them power, right to choose, to make laws, to regulate. And how do you do that? Usually by applying to benefits. By presumptuous are they, self-willed they are, not afraid to speak evil of dignity, of your right to choose. They speak evil of that. Oh, you shouldn't have the right to choose. You should give that to government. And how do you do that? By applying for their benefits. Everyone wants to live at the expense of the state. They forget that the state lives at the expense of everyone. The state doesn't have any power, it doesn't have any money, it doesn't have any benefit to give you unless it takes it away from somebody else. Well, the church is the only state that does not take away what you choose to give. We allow you the right to choose to give or not to give. We're the government that is a truly servant, public servant government. That's the, That's is what the Church of Christ is supposed to be doing, being the public servant. So you do not have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, because when you go to them, they serve you deceitful meats, and they, will what should have been for your welfare, will bring you into bondage. And God does not want you in bondage. He wants you to be a free soul walking on the earth, filled with his spirit, doing his will. To him. And if you were doing that, your prayers would have power. If you don't do that, he can't hear your prayers. And you can't do that unless you let him into your heart. And you can't let him into your heart as long as you want to exercise dominion over somebody else. Now, I'll argue with people from time to time, in particular, or at least it appears to be argued, I'll present my case. 
in hopes that they see it. But if they don't see it, have a nice day. Dust your feet off. Go on. It's not about me convincing you. It's about me bearing witness to what I see. You don't want to see it? That's fine. You're not answerable to me. You're answerable to God. But there were also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, bought them from who? Upon themselves with destruction, condemnation. And that's where they are today, in condemnation. They are bound under the gods of the world. The fathers of the world, they must serve them. They must bow down and serve them daily. And they make their instruments of war. They take their sons and daughters. They take the first fruits of their fields. And that is because they have denied the lordship of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that he was actually preaching a kingdom of heaven from the sky above to the center of the earth. He was only preaching a kingdom that you go to after you die that the kingdom was not for the living, but only for the dead. And that's all in contra, uh, contradiction to what Christ was saying. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can walk with God on this planet, on this earth, and hold that dominion for Christ. He gives you a parable. We won't get to it, but he talks about being like a man going into a far place. And he gives... You dominion, some dominion. I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. But you gave it up. The churches give it up. These things calling themselves churches are giving it up every day. They encourage you to give it up. They, they are not the welfare system of Christians operating by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They say, oh, you need welfare? Go to the government. Go to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. They are so far away from walking with Christ, they don't even understand the basic fundamentals. How can God hear their prayers? They have rejected God, and they have led people to the gods of the earth. They have told them, do not pray, our Father who art in heaven, give us our daily bread, but our Father who art in Washington, D.C., give us our daily bread. Yeah, we know the bread comes because you went and took it away from somebody else, but that's okay, you're just a benefactor who exercises authority. We're not to be that way. But you are that way. You are participating in the system that way. How can you hear your prayers? Now, we're talking about spiritual things and physical realities, and I am only pointing out the physical reality of your bondage so that you will see that you have gone the wrong way. Now, how do you get into that spiritual reality. Well, you have to let go of some of the physical reality. I mean, what is witchcraft? They talk about witchcraft is that you're going to conjure up heaven by creating a utopia on earth. Did that work out for Peter and some of the apostles who were persecuted? Yeah, because they were living in another realm. Now, we could get into, and we do, simply just do not have the time, get into the the metaphysical nature of prayer, the spiritual reality. I, I can only talk about the physical reality around the spiritual reality, but the same principle applies because the spirit was first and the physical reality was created thereafter by the presence of the spirit. You see, so the... The physical reality is a reflection of the spiritual reality. And if you want to have the dominion that God intended us to have, you have to get into the spiritual reality, which gets into quantum physics. Well, you don't need to know quantum physics. You just need to know Christ. And you can't conjure up a knowledge of Christ with study. Study just reveals how far away from Christ you have gone. So that you actually now call evil good. This is a great government because it exercises more power and authority over the average individual than almost any other government on the face of the earth. And it's not always that benevolent. So how do we get into the spiritual reality in order to become the creative influence of God in 
this world. We have to make a home in us for the nature of God. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. After this ma manner, therefore, he pray ye. After this manner, he's not saying recite these words over and over again in the ceasing of the repetition of words. Our Father who art in heaven, as opposed to our fathers of the earth. Call no man father upon the earth. No man patronus, no man patri. We've gone over that before. All the senators of Rome were called father. The emperor was called the, our father. He said, don't pray to our father who art in Rome. Pray to our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name rather than hallowed be some other name. Thy kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom comes on earth from the sky above to the, to the earth, to the core of the earth, when thy will be done. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a key. How many people can you forgive? How many people want you to resent them or, or be afraid of them or accept them or bow down to them or bow down to their supreme intellect or their supreme religious philosophy or whatever it is? Forget about that. It doesn't matter. They can disagree. They have a right to disagree. We can't, we're not going to save them. Let them go and be, uh, you know, bear witness with patience and love and then go from there. Do what God wants you. And God can guide your steps moment by moment. Actual physical steps moment by moment. But you have to be still. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about two minutes from now, one minute from now. The kingdom of heaven is now in the moment. Bring yourself back to the moment. We need to understand the character of Christ. And when we see that we are not having that character, we need to change. And we cannot change us. We must shut up and let God change us. Jesus said, and call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father which is in heaven and that's what we've been doing we've been making men our fathers our benefactors the men who we look to for guidance and control over our lives that tell us when to sit when to eat when to work when to do this that and the other thing and we have bound ourselves by our words and become a surety for death now you you do not undo that simply by saying I'm going to disobey this father I have made you have to you may have to be friends with the unrighteous man you may have to pay Caesar what you owe him because you have covenanted with him and driven the whole nation into debt by your by your appetite when you sat and ate with that ruler you were a man of appetite and you did not put a knife to your throat even though you were told he serves deceitful daily thank you uh, when sinners enticed you to make gain by having this one purse in which you could all pull from every time you needed. Proverbs 23. Go read that whole thing. Proverbs 23. Forget about Psalms 23. Go read Proverbs 23. Because you're not going to get to Psalms 23 if you do not understand Proverbs 23. So I hope I got your curiosity up enough to go and read it. But you're caught in a net. What should have been for your welfare has become a net. Now, how do you change that? You have to change your spirit. And you can't do that. You have to submit to Christ, submit to his love, submit to his ways, submit to his infinite patience with others. For who ever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother? Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. But they do. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, changed, and become as a little ch children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. A little child is trusting. You know, let's go here. 
Are you that trusting as you go where God wants, or are you trying to figure out where you want to go? You know, it's, it's this humility thing, it's really a drag. You've got to be humble before God and say, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I can't figure it out. I'm not, I don't have the philosophy. I read this uh, this philosopher, this this religious guy, that religious guy, but I don't know what you tell me, Lord. You know, the the, the guys who argue their point and, and press their point and keep coming back and pounding their point, they need you to believe so that they can believe. Your belief should not depend upon other people's belief. Your belief has to do with what God is to you in your heart. And if you can't hear him, how can he hear your prayers? Now, God is extremely merciful, and even though you have turned your back on him over and over again, if you just turn around a little bit, he will meet you halfway. But you got to really turn around. you got to let go of all this vanity of proving your point. That people are not going to accept the truth. They're going to hide from it. And if you actually begin to speak the truth, they're going to feel really threatened by that. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. So that's what we need to be. We need to be converted by him, not we convert ourselves. The kingdom of heaven is like unto that man who sowed good seed in the field, but while he slept, the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. Well, the tares are here everywhere. This whole nation is full of people who love socialism, love uh, fascism, love to have dominion over each other. And uh, the purging of those people will come with the wrath of God that will descend upon both the just and the wicked. We need to become more righteous in our approach. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is this righteousness? The state of a man who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. You exercising dominion over each other in democracy. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attend a state approved of God. Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their God. If you've done that, that's not a state approved of God. That is in contrary. That is an adversarial state in which you have entered. The world is in a lot of trouble. It has gone absolutely the opposite of God. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, righteousness, uh, rightness, and correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. People are coming together in congregations all over, home churches, whatever. Are you taking care of the entire social welfare system of your congregation? Are you still sending them to the benefactors who exercise authority? Now, now, we've set out a way in which you can do that in the world, but you have to do it. You can't just think about it and feel it. You have to actually act. In a very narrow sense, righteousness is the justice or the virtue which gives each his due. We need to take care of one another in real ways so that they do not need at any time to go to the benefactors who exercise authority and you are not in that state and it will become harder and harder to be in that state in the future. People have to get in earnest and start working and not be distracted by the argumentative attitudes of people who want to justify their position of the world. We need to simply turn around and go the other way. And one of the things that we have to do is be concerned about others. And, and pass that message on. But if they will not hear it, do not linger too long in their village, in their home, in their house, in their living room. Dust your feet off and say, have a nice day. You don't want to go this way. You want to go some other way. You want to present some philosophy or religion or some belief 
and you are distracted, my prayer is to forgive you and everybody else and seek to do the will of the Father on this earth, in my heart, today, in this moment, and tomorrow, and whatever moment he gives me. Joshua says, and it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, back in 1950, <laughs> served uh, on the other side of the flood, of the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Americans, or the gods of whatever, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Unless you let God in, you will not be at peace. You will feel attacked. You will feel like you're you against the world. Because you're alone. It's not you against the world unless you've hidden from God. Everybody's got to learn to be still. Everybody's got to learn to be quiet. Everybody's got to listen to the God and wait upon him. This thing of prayer has to do mostly with being still and knowing that God is God. You're not God. You can't figure out how to convince somebody who God is. You don't even know who God is. He knows who he is. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.